Welcome to the Paul and Paul podcast. I'm Paul Papasavas. And I'm Paul Varnado. Today, we will be talking about cloud financial management, some of the challenges customers face, opportunities those present, and some of the strategies and considerations enterprises can take to improve their financial management. Now, FinOps has been receiving more and more attention from enterprises recently, especially with the economy, the way it's been the last couple of years. And just recently, AWS joined the FinOps Foundation as a premier member in hopes of helping serve the community in this area. And people may think that this topic is targeted to the accountants or finance folks at a company, but that is really not the case at all. FinOps merges financial ops, IT ops, and business operations so that an enterprise can meet its financial goals. So what you'll hear us talking about today may sound very familiar as a lot of the material we've referenced before in earlier episodes, going over ways to be successful in the cloud, overlaps and applies to the overarching cloud financial management. You know, all IT and business leaders should find this topic useful. So hopefully people are starting to see the bigger picture here. You know, things are all related. You can't just take one thing in a vacuum. Everything needs to be considered as one big picture. So to help us cover the topic, we welcome to the show Chris Hennessy, who is an enterprise financial strategist in our AWS Enterprise Strategy Group. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, so glad to be here. Thanks, Paul and Paul. Yeah, it's great to have you. So before we get going, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and more specifically what your role here entails? Definitely. I've uh, been at AWS just over two and a half years on the enterprise strategy team. It's a great team inside of AWS driven exclusively from prior customers um, who've driven large scale transformations and then now come in house and help customers along the way. So I engage with probably 200 customers a year in helping them drive through specifically this topic, the cloud financial management side. Prior to AWS, I spent over 20 years at Capital One and was the technology CFO leading through their transformation. So I bring that expertise along what I learned from other customers to bear to really help organizations thrive in the cloud. Yeah, it sounds like uh, a lot of organizations can get a lot of help and use out of your experience. So we're, we're glad to have you here. And we're looking forward to having this chat with you as I think a lot of our customers have a keen interest in this topic. Yeah, Chris, thanks for joining us today. As you've been talking to various customers, what's on the customer's mind right now in regards to cloud financial management? You know, where are customers focusing their attention? Yeah, as, as we've all seen in the last year plus, customers have kind of shifted a little bit away from growth and more towards cost efficiency inside of their organizations. So a lot of the questions that I get as I come in is, what are the ways by which we can use the cloud effectively? And at times for those customers in the cloud, specifically CFOs are always just wondering why the cloud costs so much. And that doesn't mean that it does cost so much, but I think organizations are managing through that transition from an on-premise mindset to the cloud. And with that variable nature and, and the change, you also need to change some of the elements that come along with that, specifically kind of mindset, skill set, and some of the tool sets required to, to do well in the cloud. So I lived that firsthand at Capital One, and it took me personally and as an organization a couple of years to kind of catch and change some of the cultural and practices. But once we were able to do that, we we're able to drive the expected efficiencies that we were living through. So I bring some of those lessons to learn, but specifically on customers' minds is just what are the ways by which I can use the cloud effectively? They see the agility, they see the security, but they sometimes struggle with some of the financial efficiency elements uh, of the cloud. So as I think about what customers are focusing some attention on, it comes in a couple different forms. One, the customers who are maybe earlier in their journey, a lot of them are trying to frame out and justify the case for cloud. 
And especially when I engage on the financial side, it's this balance between what are the investments needed and what's the value that we expect as we go through that. So work with a lot of organizations across the globe to how do we help gain that buy-in? How do we help do an apples-to-apples comparison of on-premise and the cloud? So that comes up a lot as people are looking to look at uh, total cost of ownership of of their application footprint. Uh, The other thing that they focus their attention on is as they move to the cloud, how do you build the right level of visibility and accountability uh, inside of the company to ensure that you get the right outcomes? Most organizations begin their cloud journey with an eye towards driving cost savings. And I think as you all have seen, companies definitely deliver on cost savings. I think the average reduction in, in infrastructure cost is roughly 20% that we see across the footprint. But sometimes it takes a little bit of work to get there. It doesn't just automatically come and there's some practices and cultural changes that need to be made. So I'm excited to talk through some of those today for, for the listeners. Yeah, those are some definitely challenging concerns. And I know Paul and I have both seen those in action uh, at our customers. It's fairly common across the board. Now, with all those things at the top of customers' minds, you know, what do you see as some of the opportunities, some of the areas where they face challenges, but at the same time have the opportunity to improve and actually be better off in the long run? Yeah, as I mentioned, sometimes there's just some questions and concerns from especially the CFOs I engage with to what am I actually paying for? How do I get visibility into my cloud bill? How do I ensure that I am getting the right value out of that? So you do have to dig into on the front end one of those challenges into understanding the services and the capabilities and how they link back to your organization. So spending some time there matters. The notion of having visibility into who's consuming cloud and how do you attribute that to the P&Ls of businesses comes up a lot with customers. So I would say that is another challenge and opportunity that customers work through. As I mentioned earlier on the cultural side, this also forces a little bit more collaboration between finance and IT inside of the organization. I love when I go in to meet with typically CIOs or CTOs, and I ask them how their relationship is with their finance counterpart. You can imagine the spectrum of answers that I get, which is who's my finance person on one end to a really strong partnership. But when you engage in a cloud transformation, the variable nature begins a little bit of cohesion and cultural shift that has to happen between that collaboration. And sometimes that is not just the existing model that they have. So customers kind of have to work through that. I have to mention kind of enablement and awareness, uh, the, the training side of this, which I'm sure both of you hear a lot about. It comes up all the time. Finance people need to learn technical skills. A lot of times technical resources didn't have to worry about cost as much because it was centralized in an on-premise world. So they were able to just operate as needed to support the problems that were at hand. So some of that skill set gap exists as an opportunity on, on all sides of the spectrum. The other notion, and I think a lot of finance teams struggle with and a challenge is how do you get scale uh, out of some of the practices on cloud financial management? How do you automate some of the capabilities? Because a lot of finance teams are tend to be pretty small in nature for most groups. So this notion of continuous monitoring, continuous alerting, and leveraging technology to actually manage cloud financials well is something and a challenge that most customers face and that we're able to help them with at AWS. The last thing I'll call out is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, cost tends to be the large driver of why a lot of customers want to leverage the cloud. But as you all have seen in in both your personal experience, but also in in some research that AWS has done, they actually measured for a thousand customers. What was the expected value of their transformation in the beginning? And then what value did they actually get as they went through that transformation? 
And what surprises a lot of organizations is that that cost savings tends to be less than 10% of the value delivered. That's not because cost savings isn't there. It's because business agility and kind of resiliency outweighs the value proposition in that in that study. So I would say that is another surprise and a challenge for some customers, which is how do we make sure we get the full value and not only focus on cost savings, which is what a lot of customers I see do as they go through this journey. Yeah, it's interesting to hear all of those. There seems to be a common thread there around perception, visibility, shifting of cultural or processes. Now, for me, what may be the most interesting point there was the last one that you made about, we've touched on this before, but we never had the hard data around, or at least I hadn't heard about this study. So I really thank you for mentioning it. And that's that only 10% of cloud value comes from cost savings. And it's ironic because when you think about it, what is the first thing that companies think about when they want to move to the cloud? It's to save money, you know, cost. It's so often the top reason. But we continuously stress that one of the biggest benefits is organizational and business agility, you know, being able to innovate, go to market faster. So this is a great data point for people to really internalize and understand and drive the point home that moving to the cloud is more than just about saving on the you know immediate bottom line when you're comparing apples to apples, but you're really comparing your business and how much more efficient it is and all the value you gain from that. And then that will help you uh, eliminate some costs and become a lot more cost efficient. So yeah, that, that's a really great point that I think uh, a lot of people really aren't familiar with and should become more familiar with. Yeah, Paul, it's a really good observation. And so Chris, after engaging with hundreds of customers, are there certain traps that customers fall into when managing cloud financials? You know, like considering those opportunities you just mentioned, what recommendations would you provide for them to avoid these kinds of traps? Yeah, one of, one of the biggest traps is just having visibility into their cloud consumption and then tracing that back to who the consumers are. That could be an application or platform level, it could be a product level inside of an organization, or it could be just like a vertical business and business line inside of that. So one of the things I advocate really quickly and touch on in the front end when I talk to customers is what's your account and tagging strategy? A lot of times when you think about your account structure inside of AWS, um, you take a very heavy security lens on that, which makes sense. And, and I definitely would lead into that. I know in my experience, um, we went from a couple hundred accounts to a couple thousand accounts to try to reduce blast radius on the security side. But we also needed to be customers inside of finance and those working within a FinOps type function in an organization around how do I structure these accounts to help align and allocate these resources back to either product or P&Ls across the group. So being really intentional about that and being really deliberate about your needs are is one thing I advocate for customers. As we think about tags, I know there's a love-hate relationship with tags. I know when I talk to IT leaders, because it's this fine balance between how do you ensure that you don't put too much overhead or red tape on what's needed to manage things internally, but that you're also be able to do the right analytics on the back end. So this bifurcation of required versus optional tags, I think is an important framework for customers to think about. Obviously, you want to minimize the number of required tags uh, that are necessary, because if you tag everything with a lot of depth, sometimes that will just slow teams down. And that's something I know a lot of customers uh, are worried about. But being really clear around what's critical to serve, uh, and I know for me, uh, when I engage with product leaders, 
they want deep transparency into how they're consuming their IT infrastructure and IT uh, resourcing. And if you don't have the right level of tagging sometime in the account structure, sometimes it's very hard to give the right level of transparencies to those product leaders. So I would definitely encourage, as I talk to customers about the visibility side, think about some automatic ways to help govern this. I know personally, I've spent years trying to chase people around to get tags cleaned up for analytical purposes. And, and it's not a fun job. And I know it, nobody here listening kind of likes that. Um, but I worked with one customer, which I love. They kind of flipped the script on the whole approach. So the advice I would give is uh, really think about the governance principles you put in place to ensure you have the right outcomes. And one CIO specifically was kind of fed up with the, the teams not being able to use the data that they basically said, if your environments don't follow the required tags, we're just going to deprecate your environment every night. And guess what? Engineers typically choose the path of least resistance in terms of uh, this regard. So things change really quickly when you put that kind of uh, governance on that. And, and a corporate CIO kind of leaning in with having a really clear guardrails to work within and really articulating the why behind this to everyone, because a lot of people just don't understand the why when you get into some of the, the tagging principles. So I love that suggestion. That could be a little bit of a strong arm for some companies, but finding the right balance between your account and tagging strategy to give the right level of visibility is a big deal. So I, I love talking to customers about that. So that would be one trap that I would call out. The second trap I see as people make the transition into the cloud is they just assume somebody else is going to worry about it. So if it's a data engineer or a software engineer, they're trying to solve the problem that's in front of them. They're probably likely very excited to have AWS services and capabilities at their disposal to be much more productive to solve those problems and solve those needs. But you can't just assume somebody else is going to solve this, especially on the financial sides. And usually for any of us who lived a while in the on-premise world, your big influencing point was at the buy period. So how much storage do you need? How many servers do you need? You had a lot of control and governance on that buy purchase to justify it, but then you didn't really worry about it again. It was kind of being depreciated through time. You let it kind of you know, set it and forget it, but that doesn't work in the cloud. It's not a set it and forget it kind of approach. So as you move to the cloud with the variable nature of things, most organizations need to move a little bit more deeply into federating cloud financial management. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the spectrum of federating versus centralizing these activities because I've got a passionate view on that. But I think in the end, my encouragement on assuming somebody else is just act like an owner. If you're an application or a platform owner and you've never had transparency into costs, which I wouldn't be surprised about in, in my customer engagements, I would be advocating for and looking for having a deeper posture on the financial side just like you do on the resiliency and the security of your application. So be an agitator inside of your organizations to be a good steward of the financial elements of your application. That, that would be my advice on that second point. And the last kind of pitfall that I see when I talk to customers is that optimization is kind of once and done. Some engineers love to focus on cost optimizations, but I would say the majority do not want to spend. They want to do new feature builds. They want to solve new problems for the customers. It's not like they don't want to do it in a well-managed way, but they don't want to have to think about it all the time. They'd love some for some automation and ways to make it easy. So as we think about the changing landscapes of services and software that application teams use, I think embedding the right level of monitoring and alerting on the front end goes a long way to ensure that application teams and engineers know if things get out of whack. So AWS has a really good cost anomaly detection capability that uses machine learning and looks at the pattern of what you leverage, but then ultimately can give you alerts if things get out of whack 
um, which I think obviously uh, unintended consequence at times, or it just validates something you had planned and it's actually occurring. So it, it could be validating that's there. I met with one customer recently and I love what they did, which is to instill a little bit more discipline around this. They leverage agile principles from a software development standpoint and just required each agile team to take one week out of a three month period in their sprint plans to do health and hygiene on the cost management of their cloud infrastructure. And a lot of those companies like to gamify it in some way. So have some fun with it. So uh, that same organization, what they did is in that three month sprint window, they looked at which application team drove the most efficiency in their application during that three month window, and then gave them swag as a way to recognize the effort and the efficiency that, that they would have. So I think finding some fun ways to make this, but really building it in and having a mechanism to make it repeatable is something I would advise as we think about uh, optimization on an ongoing basis, not a once and done element. Yeah, I like that approach, kind of syncing with the PI cycle. And talking about the tagging uh, that you were just referencing, I had a customer that had some challenges with that, where first it started organically in disparate groups. You know, they weren't really talking to each other. Everyone just was kind of doing their own thing. And what ended up happening was there was some overlapping and conflicting direction. And, you know, there was no real strategy, but eventually we got them to kind of come into the same room and coordinate approaches. And someone took the lead and ownership of making sure there was a more unified strategy while each area still controlled how to define their specific tags. And this kind of challenge can similarly present itself with your cost and financial strategy approaches. You know, like whether you were referencing earlier, whether a company wants to be more centralized or more federated in their cost geography, right? Yeah, definitely. And there's actually a great program. I'm not sure if you all are aware of it, but um, it's a thing called a FinHack. It's actually a formal structure that AWS has where they'll actually go in and help facilitate a lot of the conversations that you were just talking about. So how do you get IT, finance, and product together? How do you have some fun, a celebration and, and a bunch of fun, but it's a way to have dedicated time and focus to kind of being really deliberate about some of the principles and, and guardrails you need to manage. So check out FinHack if you haven't. It's an AWS program they have. I've seen it be really successful, and it's a great way to form team unity around a common goal. Um, and that common goal in this case is around cost efficiency of using the cloud. You mentioned a little bit, Paul, just a second ago around this notion of kind of central versus federated as well. I mentioned earlier, I have a passionate view on this and my views are always challenged. So I, I'm always learning and growing as, as I do this. But uh, what I've seen as a pattern a lot with customers is they kind of move from on-prem to the cloud. They are excited to have some form of a centralized team, like a, a CCOE, Cloud Center of Excellence or uh, you know, kind of an element of a business operations team inside of IT running this. And they have a really strong hold on that central team, which we've seen, and we probably all would attest, those central teams, if they act as an enabler, could be a big benefit for organizations. But those central teams can also bloat at times and be a long pull in the tent. So I, you have to be really cautious of the scope and focus. But on the cost side of things, the pattern I see is, when things are centralized, it tends to be a struggle to have the right level of visibility and accountability for the local application development teams. There may be some reporting that's created using QuickSight or another BI tool that's out there. That centralized team assumes because they publish a report that people are looking at it. I think we all have enough experience to know, like there has to be a driving need to look at a report and there has to be some form of accountability. A report for report's sake tends to not get a lot of views. 
We used to love to track the number of views on cloud cost management reporting uh, in my prior days. And guess what? The numbers were pretty low. So I think there's a way you need to really embed some of this. And what I've seen work well as you go through this, and again, every culture and company is different. So there's always a spectrum. But moving from centralized and slowly moving to a more federated approach, I tend to see better benefits in terms of deeper cloud cost management. People tend to get really excited when they have visibility when they didn't have it before. Uh, one of the questions I love to ask customers is, how do you manage your budgets? You know, not just cloud, just for the company. How do you manage your budgets? Who's accountable for that budget? And usually the answer you get is there's some executive level where it stops. And it could be a vice president in some companies. It could be another a title in another company. But there's usually, it's not super deep in the organization budgets are managed. So then I talk about from a broad budget management to how are you managing your cloud budget? Um, usually it follows suit. There's a very senior level person that's accountable for that budget. They have transparency and reporting and insight into it. But when you go deeper in the organization, say in an application owner level or a platform owner level, they just don't have visibility into what the cloud costs are. So, so I personally am a big believer of federating as much as you can the cause and effect of what they're doing in the cloud. And I know from my experience, when I saw kind of a, a sea change happen, when you federate cloud costs and you allow teams to see the benefits, the upside or the downside of their usage of cloud, their behavior changes. Because if they have the option to drive more efficiency in the cloud, to repurpose that efficiency inside their own budget for, say, potentially more resourcing, they get very excited really quickly that they can have potentially more capacity. So the more you can have the right incentive structure around this goes a long way. Well, that's a great case for the federated approach. And I know you're a big proponent of that, but let me ask you this. Have you ever seen it work well in a more centralized setup? I recently met with a customer who challenged some of that thinking, which was really helpful for me as I continuously learn. They they really abstracted a lot from the engineering community and moved away from federated after having been pretty mature in the cloud for a while. And what they were hoping to do was just allow engineers to focus on kind of feature builds and not have to worry about what's the most cost-effective way to do it. They just staffed a centralized team that was there to manage and govern that for them. So they were the ones making the levers and the decisions around how best to cost optimize and, and to leverage which infrastructure for which application. That's a pretty mature state. I've seen most customers I engage with, they struggle with just giving the right level of transparency and insight to the engineering community and, and just hoping they don't treat it as it's free resourcing. They really need to bring that element of insight to them and really hope to uh, provide the right level of awareness. Another area of change that happens as you go through this journey is your governance and financial monitoring needs to evolve as well. I remember when we first started using the cloud in my prior organization, we were just in the month-end mindset, uh, just like we were on most other costs. Um, how much you're um, you know, incurring for your labor capacity, how much you're incurring for maintenance agreements. But as you all know, as you go to the cloud, you've got to move to a bit more real-time and leverage technology to monitor this on, on your behalf. So that month-end mindset needs to change as you move to the cloud. And that's due to the variable nature. So while there's a little bit of change, it's a really big positive in terms of your ability to actively manage and have levers. Uh, one of the big breakthroughs for me managing through this was moving to some of the real-time alerting capability and putting kind of uh, floors and ceilings on certain levels of services and application spend 
that was a huge win for us to have one, use technology to do alerting, but two, also to deliver that alerting to the right audience. In my experience, kind of a blend of finance, but definitely the IT engineers um, ensuring they have the right level of awareness, they can take the right actions to pull levers um, for that as well. So that's another best practice I've seen around using uh, on the cost management side. Yeah, and you know, a lot of the things you just mentioned, regardless of the approach, you know, whether you're being more centralized or federated, they do need some kind of at least centralized coordination and management to implement initially. You uh, referred to, and I think what we all commonly refer to as governance. So even if, for example, an org wants to have that federated cost structure, there at least needs to be some sort of cohesive plan and approach so that every group in the organization is following the same principles. Now, it doesn't have to be necessarily either one or either or. It's a spectrum, right? And I think you had a little bit more uh, thoughts about governance by design. Yes, definitely. And I love the notion of principles or guardrails to allow uh, uh, people within your organization to leverage. I know a lot of customers that I meet with struggle with kind of uh, adherence-based governance. So that could be tagging. That could be just principles of turning things off and on. Um, and that could be nights and weekends, as an example. Uh, or this notion of dimmer switching, where you can kind of shut things down a little bit, not fully off, but then turn them up as they come in. A lot of companies, when you try to lay out those principles and then just hope people are doing the right thing, you sometimes are just spending a lot of time on reporting and trying to keep up with um, who's compliant and who's not compliant on those standards. And many of the best practices I've seen some customers just kind of flip that kind of appliance on its head and make things uh, much more an opt-in element versus an opt-out. So as an example, nights and weekends um, make the exception that everything's off for nights and weekends. And if you have a critical need for your customers or your, your business to opt into using your infrastructure for nights and weekends, have a process to support that. Just don't do the inverse. It's true with, I know, uh, solicitations for organizations. You know, do you opt out or opt in? I think really using that kind of element uh, in terms of governance by design goes a really long way towards getting the right outcomes. Uh, but you also need to put a little bit of friction in, uh, from my viewpoint, to support the right outcomes financially versus making it easy. And then ultimately, that could lead to a little bit of bloating of your consumption of servicing as, uh, as well. Yeah, that's a great perspective on setting defaults to save on those resources. You know, we've talked a lot about the importance of tracking and monitoring strategies. Some of my customers have struggled with moving towards that federated model. You know, they're so accustomed to having a centralized control that their teams just aren't set up to own their own domain costs. So what are some other customers doing to adjust their budgeting and forecasting approach? Yeah, I think like you mentioned, the, you know, when you're so dependent on that centralized approach, um, sometimes you don't have the muscle built in a federated way to do the right thing. So one thing I encourage customers to do is uh, as you think about giving transparency in a bit more federated way, begin also to think about distributing budgets in a, in a federated way as well. So um, as I mentioned earlier, typically for budgets, it's kind of stops at that executive level, but you tend to need to go a little bit deeper in the organization. And that could be a platform owner, an application owner in the organization. So I think holding the right level of accountability, sharing that level of, of transparency and insight, inviting those individuals in around the budgeting and forecasting cycles. So it's a little bit more of a ownership model as you go through it. Um, but then also hold them accountable to when there's, you know, you're running hot or also if you drive efficiency, they have the ability to reinvest that efficiency locally, which I, I think I've seen go a long way, not feeling like you need to aggregate all of this 
but that you can actually make that level of local accountability and decisioning. So I think that's one. In terms of forecasting, this comes up a lot with customers. Customers are looking for some predictability of what they are likely to. And obviously, there's great tooling that AWS has and, and others have through this. What I've seen work best is to not get a bit overwhelmed by feeling like you need to do it for everything right away. Um, you can work your way through it almost like a baby step element. So the Pareto principle works really well as I look at uh, the, the AWS bills for customers. Typically, 20% of the apps consume 80% of the spend. So just narrow in on, it could be the top five apps, the top 10 apps, or if you wanted to do that full 20%, what are the 20% of the apps that consume most of the spend? and do a much more active engagement in uh, working with the application owners. I know the questions I used to ask were, one, share some insight around what their consumption patterns have been. Two, maybe begin to understand what does this application or platform do for the business? And then think about any forward-looking metrics for the business. That could be revenue growth, it could be customer growth, could be call volumes, whatever it may be. So maybe get a forward-looking lean on that and then partner with that application owner to understand, based on their deep understanding application, what services or capabilities are you likely to use differently as we go forward? So it's a great dialogue and opportunity for the people doing the forecasting along with the application owner to get a little bit more narrow and focused and go deeper so that you can build some confidence and best practices and then scale that um, as you go further. In the typical crawl, walk, run, what I typically see on the crawl side is there's some moving average or kind of run rate approach taken, which is okay, but it doesn't do the best of accounting for new services, new capabilities and growth just in general. The walk side of this is the Pareto principle. Let's narrow in on a couple and go through that. And, and I think that I've seen that work real well. But on the run side, some practices I've seen for organizations who've evolved through time, they're using kind of really effective and accurate forward-looking forecasting approaches in terms of machine learning-based forecasting and capabilities to automate as much of this as possible. Ideally, you're not spending tons of time on getting this forward-looking estimate, but I think if you can use some of the machine learning-based elements or ability to code and develop some of the outcomes, this goes a long way towards automating a lot of this, and then you can just put your judgment on top of it. And that's one thing I've seen uh, in a really effective way work well. So I'd be interested uh, as we, I know you've heard a lot from me in this podcast so far, I'd love to get your take on this. So given the vast experience that both of you have, what insights would you share with customers on the best practices of using cloud in a cost-efficient way? And are there any specific advice that you typically give to customers when you engage on this topic? That is actually a great question. And it's rather interesting in my opinion, because right there, when you say use the cloud in a cost-efficient manner, you're inherently asking about operations, right? Uh, I know a lot of people, when they think, you know, financials and CFM, financial management, they're thinking maybe about, you know, balance sheets and just a strictly financial side of things. But when you're talking about how people are operating, it's where I think governance and the operating model are two of the biggest drivers for efficiently keeping your costs in check. You know, on-prem, you, and you've touched on this a little bit, you have a way of operating that's entrenched in people's day-to-day -day where engineers aren't thinking about the cost of a server. You know, once it's purchased, it's not a consideration. It's somebody else is managing it. It's somebody else's problem. So what do app developers normally care about whether a server is running 24-7 or not? In the cloud, though, since you're paying as you go, anyone who's responsible for a workload needs to understand what that means. So processes need to be in place in order to ensure that people aren't spinning up servers that shouldn't be or 
if the servers that they are spinning up are beyond the needed specs and they're just spinning up the largest, most memory filled instance type that there is when it's really not necessary. And then after that, making sure that they're shutting them down when they're not needed. So if you know your sprint cycle is you're running tests only once every couple of weeks, you don't need that test instance running every day, 24 hours a day. Just make sure you're shutting things down on the proper schedule and then architecting things to run for the cloud. So whereas on-prem, you would buy something to make sure that it would work for your most on-demand times and your peak workloads, but maybe most of the time you're only running at 10%, you don't need to have that running all the time in the cloud. You can architect things so that for 90% of the time, it's running at that smaller instances. And then when it needs to ramp up, auto scale and, or maybe more scheduled scale to meet your workload needs. So while it's great to have that empowerment at the individual level for people to have that flexibility and then create that agility and be able to innovate and go to market faster, as the old uh, movie quote goes, with great power comes great responsibility. Mm -hmm. So people need to be accountable and responsible for all the things that they're doing uh, and spinning things up and making sure that they're taking the right steps and ownership to make sure that their organization is running as efficiently if as possible. Yeah, I would echo what Paul just said. Um, certainly the Batman reference was nice. I think that was Batman. Um, no, Spider-Man. Spider-Man. <laughs> See, I, I need to catch up on all my DC versus Marvel. But I think observability is critical and kind of seeing what you're spending and having the right teams understand. You know, one of my customers says you build it, you own it. And that's all aspects from what you're what you're using, what you're paying, and what you're supporting. So I think those are definitely great areas of, of best practices for our customers. So Chris, given your primary experience as a customer driving an AWS cloud transformation at Capital One, what lessons have you learned for managing a complex cloud transformation from a financial aspect? Yeah, I love that. I've had a lot of time to reflect because I get that question a lot uh, in terms of what did you learn going through this? And it's funny when you're living through it, you don't fully appreciate it till you kind of look back. But one of the things I thought was really critical um, as we went through this transformation, and it's something I share a lot with customers, is it's really important to have a good baseline to compare to as you go through your cloud transformation financially. Um, and the way in which that we did this, you can almost call it something like a do-nothing business case. It's almost like the current course and speed is another way to call it out. And it's really thinking about if we didn't go through this cloud transformation or didn't begin leveraging AWS, what does the next three to five years look like in terms of our IT infrastructure? What technical debt will we need to address as we go through this? I know in my experience, we owned all of our own data centers, but for most customers I engage with, they tend to lean a lot on colo arrangements or, or someone else running that. So you have to think about contractual terms, like how long is our agreement and um, what level of investments will we need to make, especially on the capital expenditure side. So I think having that baseline, as I look back, was really important, especially as you communicate to product leaders or business line leaders, because a lot of times you can only focus on what's ahead of you and what's in front of you. You don't know kind of how things would have been in this alternative scenario. So having that kind of apples to apples comparison and really ensuring you have a baseline to compare back to, to know is are things better or worse off financially? It was really, really important. That goes for both the investment side, but also the expected value side as you go through a business case. So I think that, that would be one. The second would be, and we've talked a lot about it, and I love the, both the advice you all gave, which is 
how do you kind of accelerate and increase accountability as early in the cycle as possible? I think it took a while, I know in my experience, to get find the right level in the organization of people who felt deeply passionate and accountable for the financial elements of this. I think we were well run, but we could have been even more advanced if we kind of accelerated some of that. So I would definitely be pretty deliberate. And I love asking questions to customers around like, what are your thoughts around cloud financial management? Let's get into the details. Like, where will the cloud financials reside in your organization? Who's going to forecast that? Who's accountable for that? What level of management review are you planning to do on that? What data are you going to show as you go into that management review? Being really intentional around the transparency and insight and helping leaders understand kind of what's going on. I think doing that early and often goes a long way towards having a really successful cloud transformation. Riding on the coattails of that, cost optimization comes up a lot. I know it did when I lived through this uh, journey. And we went through a myriad of tools because uh, there's a lot of great tools that are out there, both that support AWS tooling that supports it. But when you live in a hybrid world, which I know a lot of customers did, and we did for a while, obviously, as a multi-year journey, you need to have that single pane of glass as you go through this. And you need to understand where are there are levers that exist, both in the cloud, but also continued levers on-prem. So cost optimization, finding a good partner, or maybe developing something in-house to elevate where there's opportunities, and also just to have fun with it as well. One thing I've seen work best is you know, people get excited about cost optimization, but they also get really excited when people get you know kind of recognized for that activity. So I think some customers gamify cloud optimization. They may go into a sprint where multiple teams will focus on this and the team that has drives the biggest cost savings gets some element of recognition or swag, uh, which I, goes a long way. So definitely, again, have that cost optimization on the front end. And the last thing I'll call out is this uh, really taking advantage of this to enhance collaboration inside of the walls of, of your organization. You know, the notion of, especially as we talk a little bit around FinOps and the focus of kind of bringing both DevOps and finance together, IT, finance, and business leaders need to really partner as you go through this and finding ways to break down those barriers and have a common goal and ensure they're working and operating as a virtual team goes really well um, if you're intentional on the front end. So that would be the last thing I would call out is really be intentional about those partnerships that exist and need to exist and outline some principles and guardrails like we mentioned earlier, but also shared objectives across those teams so that you're all pulling in the same direction. Well, to throw another quote out there, this time from Andy Jassy, there's no compression algorithm for experience. And that is a lot of things that uh, you've been able to learn in your vast time working in this industry. So I'm glad that you were able to share all this stuff with us. I know I've learned a lot in this conversation. I'm hoping that our listeners and customers also have been able to glean a few things that can help them out in their cloud journey. But Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been very enlightening. And I know you're actually working on doing something for reInvent, uh, presenting in a few weeks. So for those listeners that are interested in hearing more, do you want to give us a little bit of a quick teaser on what you're going to be talking about? Definitely. And, and kudos to, to you, Paul and Paul, around this podcast. I'm so excited to be a guest and I love the content you put out. In terms of reInvent, um, I do have a talk track if anyone's going to be at reInvent on Tuesday, November 28th at 4 p.m. I'm uh, doing a talk track called Making Dollars and Cents Out of FinOps. It'll be a focus around how to start kind of establishing the foundation to grow, kind of expanding the functionality within FinOps, and then to scale 
which is around op optimizing and expanding the impact. So I'm excited to go through that. I'm going to share stories, customer journeys, also may have a customer involved in that and go a little bit deeper there. So I'm really excited about that at reInvent. And I think there's five other FinOps related talk tracks happening at reInvent. So I think if you can attend any of those, you'll get a lot of insight and it'll be worth your time. Well, we're really looking forward to your session and I'm sure our customers will find great value in attending it. Thanks for joining us today on the Paul and Paul podcast. Until next time, keep reaching for the cloud.